Hey, ¿qué pasa, Clexico? Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, like always, before we begin, I want to thank a couple of people. I want to thank my anchor sponsors, Camilo and Jake. I also want to thank my sponsors from uh, Roots Creative, Eddie Lopez. Thank you for sponsoring the podcast. Also, want to thank Dents on Border. If you th if you have any scratches or dents on your car, make sure you contact Dents on Border. Um, also, want to thank Sergio's Tacos and Hot Dogs, serving the Imperial, San Diego, and Yuma counties with Mexicali style hot dogs and taquisas. Contact Sergio at seven six zero five six two zero zero fifty seven. And finally, I want to thank David Gastelum. If you're thinking of buying or selling a home in Imperial, San Diego counties, make sure you contact David. He's not only a realtor but an investor with over twenty years of experience. And he'll teach you along the way one of the most important investments of your life. His phone number is 760-235-9576. Um, today, I'm really excited to have uh, my guest today because um, uh, one of the reasons is because I, I want to kind of nerd out in, 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 in the, you know, the sharing your, uh, using your voice to share information uh, kind of aspect. And the other one is because um, we're going to talk about a subject that um, I feel like we don't talk enough there's times when we do, but then we kind of like forget about it. But I feel that uh, pandemic has really uh, um, made us, besides everything else, that the pandemic has made us aware of, um, you know, this subject that we're going to talk about um, has, has even um, become a, 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 a big subject that we need to talk about and address. Um, um, my, my guest today is Scott Dudley, and he's the manager for um the imperial county behavioral health services i got this i know where i work <laughs> yeah and and he's also a um a host of uh a public radio show on um kxl radio um let's talk about it um i'm really excited to have you today here scott thank you for being here hey thanks i'm honored to be a guest this is it's so weird to like turn the chairs around and turn the interviewer into the interviewee i, I hope i can handle that <laughs> yeah I, I think i've been on two other podcasts where i was the 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 person be, being interviewed and then i was on, on the on this other show for collective correct that they weren't actually interviewing me they expected me to talk for half an hour about myself which was kind of nice kind of yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's threatening it's threatening in a weird way isn't it yeah um so before we get into the meat and potatoes about you know you know mental health and all, all the covid and all this stuff um can you tell us a little bit about yourself well okay so sure i um i am 58 and a half years old. Wait, do we have to count the year of COVID or no? Do I, I get the, uh, like, you, can, you can probably defer that one or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. 58 and a half, which means like, uh, I'm just, you know, I was working at the vaccine clinic the other day at IBC and I was like, like three quarters of the way through the day when I realized like, Oh dude, I'm the oldest person here working <laughs> because, you know, it's a bunch of uh, people in their thirties and forties and it hadn't occurred to me because, you know, you don't always get up and look at yourself in the mirror and go, Whoa, I'm getting old. But, um, so, uh, 58 and a half, I was born and raised in, in Lansing, Michigan, a block away from magic Johnson, who's a year and a half older than I am. Oh, really? And yeah. So I got, I got to watch him play basketball in like junior high and stuff wow. like that. And, um, all I was, it was, a, a an all black neighborhood. I was raised in, in, I'm Anglo, by the way, you can't see us because we're on zoom, but, but, um, I mean, like my, my, uh, 23 and me is the boringest 23 and me in the world because it's like 98.7% Northwest European. I don't even get down to France, man. It's like, it's bad. <laughs> 
so it's, it's almost, you know, it's all Scandinavian, Irish and, and English. And so anyway, um, raised in an all black neighborhood, black and a half away from Magic Johnson, um, which really was valuable for me culturally, because uh, many uh, Anglo people have no idea what it's like to be a minority. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and so it, it, you know, and it's funny because you know, I moved here to the valley and it really helped me out. Like when I was, I would go down and walk around the Hilos in Mexicali and, and, and I could do that. And, and sometimes people weren't exactly inviting or friendly, but I, I knew how to be a minority already because I had experienced that. And, and it was, uh, it was, it was a valuable part of my upbringing. So I uh, did that, um, ended up, my, my parents were divorced uh, when I was like eight years old. And that's not like a mental health story. That's like, part of my story because I became really bi-coastal because my dad was a, a disc jockey, which brings us back to media and um, eventually ended up being a record company executive. So he kind of worked his way up through the chain. And so I was spending summers in DC. I was spending summers. Eventually he ended up in Hollywood. So I spent all my teenage summers in Hollywood in the mid to late seventies, which was kind of fun. Yeah. And um, which, which was cool because actually, uh, he lived like a block off the Sunset Strip and he was gone all day because he was a record company executive. He's working. So I was like left like homeless or whatever. He'd give me 20 bucks and say, hey, go to the pier and have fun. <laughs> and and so but I got to be really close to the LGBT community as well, which was kind of cool. Again, an- another minority situation where, you know, is this straight white boy from Michigan and 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 every in the late seventies is disco and and there was a real coming out in that part of of West Hollywood, and and I was there right in the middle of it and so I had to kind of like figure that out and figure out who I was and 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 be okay with everything like right away, and uh, and I was able to do that. So anyway, graduated from Michigan State with a degree in education. Ended up out here by some weird ch- fates and chances. Uh, stuck here. Uh, got out of education because. I felt like it wasn't living up to its promise to children. I know that's kind of heavy thing to say. And I, I know that people in education try really hard, but I really felt like there were too many kids coming from marginalized backgrounds who, who never really had a chance, really smart kids, but because of culture, because of the system, because of the way things were set up, they, they weren't going to be successful. And, and that was just too hard for me to carry. So after a couple of years of teaching, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm getting nightmares about this. It's, I just, I don't, I don't want to be a part of this. This is, or I sent my certification back to the state of California mm-hmm. with a letter saying, you know what, dude, I cannot be a part of this. This is just not healthy. But in the meantime, I made some contacts and ultimately uh, I ended up working in student well-being uh, with the office of education uh, made some more contacts. And then I, uh, when that grant ran out, uh, they called me from a, a, a mental health program called Vista Sands. And Vista Sands was, uh, uh, it still is, a uh, school for element, elementary age kids who uh, are having kind of behavioral problems in school. And they called me up for an interview as a referral from a friend. And I went into the interview. I said, look, if you're looking for some prison guard to browbeat your kids, man, I'm the wrong guy. I don't do that. And, and they, they said, okay, you're hired. And I was like, cool, I'll do this. Anyway, I fell in love with it. I, you know, ultimately, if you, if you think about it kind of in the challenging aspect, we had the 15 most behaviorally challenged kids in, in any school district. So not just in the classroom, not just in a school, in the entire school district, in our class, four hours a day for uh, you know six to nine months for each kid. And I loved it. 
I was home. <laughs> you know, I, I really felt like I could give these kids some keys to empower their own lives. I felt like I could support their families in ways to get their situations better. Uh, and, and ultimately, the schools liked us because, you know, the kids started conforming to kind of the expectations of school. And uh, it was a really good time. I, I, I would have, you know, if they kept giving me more money, I would have done it forever. I'll be honest. I'll st- I'd still be doing it. I I'd go out and play soccer for a half hour a day in 110 degrees. <laughs> it, was, it was great. I loved it. Um, but eventually, you know, they stopped giving you raises. And so you got to go, okay, well, I'll apply for that supervisor job. I'll, I'll be a, uh, the analyst in charge of training. I'll do all sorts of other gigs. And so I made it up into management. And um, and I am, and then that's why I was like, okay, Peter Principal, you can only rise to the level of your incompetence. So I'm stopping now. <laughs> I'm not going to push it. So um, I did, and I didn't want to be a therapist, oddly enough. Um, you know, it's like I feel like it, I'm an art critic. I can't paint, but I can look at a painting and tell you if it's good. Mm. And and so I, I didn't want to be the guy who said to you know who said to somebody else, you've got major depression. It's a lifelong infirmity that you are always going to struggle with. You have a higher risk of suicide and you'll probably die 20 years before your life. You know, I didn't want to be that guy. That's not who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm more like the magic guy. I'm more like if you snap your fingers and click your heels three times, you can be whoever you need to be. Yeah. So, um, so that's who I am. And I'm, so I'm now the manager of um, outreach and engagement, which is a good, you know, I'm a good hype guy. It works. Um, <laughs> Also, the, the manager of the training department. So um, that's good because that that kind of allows me to, you know, keep some of my, uh, hey, let's do this. It's good for the department's, you know, vibe going on. And um, as you mentioned, I'm the, I've been hosting a radio, a weekly radio show for 18 years. Wow, that's crazy. crazy. That's crazy. I mean, because I've been doing this for three years and it's like, it seems like I go back and listen to some of my new, like, old stuff and i was like man i've been doing this for so long and and 18 years wow that's crazy you've gotten better right oh i i i think so <laughs> my, my old stuff is scary yeah, yeah I, I think i've gotten better um I, I mean i still do the ums and the uhs but it, it, it's just i do less of them maybe when when um 15, 15 years from now maybe i'll do i'll do a little bit less of them but but yeah like it, it's crazy and and I know that there's there's more than one show uh, that the county puts out, right? Yes, we put out uh, a Spanish language show called Expresate okay. as well. I even I even got to host that a couple of times, <laughs> much to my chagrin, because you know it's hard enough to do like professional good media in your you know chosen language, but then to try to do it in the flip language is is double challenging. And while I speak Spanish, my Spanish is much more casual. Because I didn't learn it in school, I learned it in the swap meet. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I I've done stand up a couple of times, and I've done it in English. And one time I went to Mexicali and tried to do stand up stand up in Spanish, and uh, I did the I, I mistake of trying to translate my English set into Spanish, and it didn't work. So, you know, I I want to credit for my Spanish. One of the primary uh, inspirations for me was Cantinflas. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, Cantinfliando, right? <laughs> yeah, I would, I would watch the DVDs like over and over. I'd stop and rewind it, and and, and rewind the fifteen seconds of the, of his take on something, and go, what is he trying to say? <laughs> How does that work? And and so any, and it was really insightful. I loved it. I loved it because it was, it was, 
it helped me when I would go out, you know, on the street in the community uh, and, and speak Spanish because that was much different Spanish than the Spanish that was being spoken, you know, in, in more formal settings. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back to, you mentioned that your dad was a disc jockey. Was, was that something, something that you, um, you know, something that you, maybe you had in mind to do in the future growing up or just happened? Did I, right. Did I aspire to it? Um, that's a, that's a good question. You know, I was always, hmm, I think once you get over your fear of public speaking, you get thrust in that role. So I, I never really sought to be like spokesperson. And and part of this media gig is, is, you know, your ability to be that spokesperson. However, I, it doesn't scare me. And I, and I take the responsibility very seriously. So you got two, so you got two things. One is, you have to stay grounded and you have to kind of be aware of what you're doing. And then two is you have to use your, your professional skills to put that into a platform. And, you know, as I practiced that, and as I felt more and more comfortable with it, I just, it just started falling into my lap more. And the more it falls on your lap, the more you're like, Oh, okay. I can do keynote. Okay. I can stand. Hmm. Uh, the year before last, I stood up in Southwest high school and did uh, like a 45 minute standing speaking gig to 600 high school students twice, like, because it was half, half the school body. Yeah. So I did like one and then I did it again. And, um, and it was okay. You know, I, I don't think they didn't run up and ask me for autographs, again. <laughs> but I, I kind of didn't expect them to, you know, um, it, but it felt good. And, and you could kind of see, you know, some of the people vibe into it in the audience where the lights were, you know, where you could see them. And, uh, so you just, you do what you can, you take your gifts and, and bring them and push them into the world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, um, I don't think it was something that I really want to do, but you know, I, I, I grew up watching a lot of like, um, late night, you know, Jay Leno or David Letterman or yeah, yeah. Kirk Ferguson. And, and, you know, I, I always liked, um, just like the conversation and the banter they had. And, and, and I think like this is allowing me to kind of do the same thing that they, they used to do. And what I enjoyed from watching them, uh, you know, you know, conduct interviews and stuff like that. And but I feel that, you know, what's something that you what you do, which is, you know, more serious, you know, you're putting out information that's more serious. It's kind of um, you need to be a, a little prepared, a little bit more prepared, but at the same time, not take yourself too serious. Right. Well, OK, so the, the couple of interesting things in the radio show, one is. I know a lot about mental health, <laughs> you know, I've last 30 years working in it. I, I finished one class short of a master's when, when I decided not to be a therapist, I, I burnt the bridge. I stopped one class short of my degree. And then I was like, Oh dude, I don't got no advanced degrees. I feel a little inadequate here. So I went back and I got a master's degree and a PhD in religion. So I'm actually a doctor, but I don't like claim that on the radio, but, um, but I, so I know a lot about mental health, but, as an interviewer, I cannot let my knowledge get in the way of what the person knows. So it, so it can help inform what question I might ask next, but I can never step into their spot and say, well, how about, how about this really good cognitive behavioral intervention? Would that work? You know, cause it's, it's too, it's too leading. Yeah. So, so, so the background kind of helps you balance that. So as an interviewer, it's all about the next question, and it's all about keeping the uh, the listener in your head, right? It's like you want the listener to be saying, you know, what would the listener want to know right now? And that's what they're asking me in my head. 
that's guiding the interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that where you, you you're like put it. You, yeah, you're listening to yourself. You know, in your car or somewhere like, it, like even like right now when we're, we're talking, having this conversation. You know, I'm kind of like listening to you know, projecting myself, listening to this podcast in my car or whatever, just to see if it's something that people are going to continue listening or, or tune out. You know, you mentioned funny. Funny is an interesting, you know, A, a I was never going to be a stand-up comedian. I can't, <laughs> you know, for the life of me, I can't get, jokes just get away from me. So, um, but the trick is, you know, we, we would always have a, a running gag on the show that if it's a, if it's a show about depression, it's depressing. And we always realize that, that, you know, a listener is a button click away on the radio, a button click away from going away. And so if you get in there and you're all bumming people out, <laughs> um, even if it's important stuff, you know, it's, it's, you can't, you can't be that. So, so all of a sudden now I've got a show about, I don't know, about teen suicide, right? Something really awful, really serious, really scary, make you swallow. And and somehow we've got to keep an engaging, inviting, right on the edge of humorous tone and quality of our banter, of our, of our speaking, to keep the listener engaged. And you're right, that, that, that can be kind of tricky. Yeah. And, and that's where I think if there's anything like a developed skill over time, I think we've gotten better at kind of knowing how to hold that edge. And to try to keep people engaged, but but not have such a such a dry, scary, awful, boring show that people just click away from it mm-hmm. because there's really good information in the show. Yeah, yeah, I've I've, I've you know th- that's something I that I try to do a lot before I talk to my guests, especially when somebody that's that has some content out there that I try to listen and and you know do some research on 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 the person just so that I you know, can, you know, have a conversation flowing. Um, and yeah, like I was listening to the stuff and, and um, I was actually listening to the one with uh, Devin Apoelaka. My boy Devin. Yeah. I, I had him on the podcast as well. I told him I was going to rebroadcast him and, and he says, well, I can't that week. I'm busy. I said, you don't understand. I'm just going to replay your show. I own you now. I could put you <laughs> on whenever I want you. Yeah. You know, when, when I talked to Devin, um, well, cause I was listening to the, while, while we were recording, you know, I have my headphones and I listened to him and he has a voice, you know, made for radio. I mean, he has like really deep voice that. Don't you and, envy those people? Yeah. It's like, man, this guy has a the voice. You want to talk like that right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so how did the, the, did the show start? Were you one of the creators or. Okay. So, so way, 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 way back in the day, um, there was a youth show that was done out of and KUBO. If you're familiar with Kubo, you know what? I used to go there and and do like public radio sometimes at the little place like south of El Centro or east of El Centro. The one I went to was the one by Evan Hughes. It was like a yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so so that was like Little House on the Prairie. That was where it all started because what we would had is the equivalent of a community service worker going there and interviewing groups of kids. And it was in Spanish. It was a Spanish show mostly. And so that show was kind of hopping along on Kubo when it was like, you know what, let's take it a step farther. And, and KUBO was really the, the, uh, the, the vehicle by which this all happened. So when we came aboard and said, you know what, let's do Expressate, we'll do, uh, we'll do talk radio about mental health topics. And we'll do one in Spanish and we'll do one in English. Um, Maria Wyatt and I 
were the original English ones. So, you know, way back, you know what, it's interesting because uh, recently elected El Central Councilwoman um, Martha Singh was the, one of the original Spanish ones. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way back. She still looks the same. She hasn't changed a bit, <laughs> you know. Um, but but uh, it was her and um, I, I, I can't, I think it was Raquel Villa even back. No, no, no. It was uh, another woman. I can't, her name escapes me. She went on to be a counselor over at uh, IBC. So those two were the original Spanish ones. Maria and I were the original English ones. And we were all chosen for our um, verbal abilities. <laughs> right. I mean, that's important. Well, no, it's important. Yeah. yeah. Um, our uh, kind of cup of coffee energy, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I remember our old director, Mike Horn, once described it. Well, you guys are just a little bit like, like type two manic. You've got this energy. You've got this push to you. And that works on radio. And I was like, well, not true, but I'll take it. <laughs> so we started back then. And, okay. and I, I, we did not record at Little House on the Prairie very very long until we moved to KUBO downtown yeah. in, in El Central. We recorded there forever. Yeah, I remember, I remember going to the one downtown as well. I used to go with um, Frank Salazar. Yes. Yeah. I, remember. Um, I used to go with him and do... It, it, he used to have like a Sunday night show where it was like emo music, like eighties, um, sure, new wave music. Um, and he used to go hang out with them then. And then I remember, um, he kind of introduced me to, I think it was that group of, of high school kids, um, that would talk about, um, uh, mental health issues. Yeah. And, um, we would just hang out. I never, I was never on the air with them, but I would, I came in a couple of times and saw, and saw that. But yeah, I do remember Google, like, yeah, it was, a. It was funny. I had a Sunday night show there for a while um, when they were already in downtown El Centro. And that was like, the, you know, what was scary was you get so much more interaction on the radio show when you were playing music. You know, people be lighting up the phones and, you know, and that was kind of cool. Yeah, that was that was fun. I remember and the one that was um, the the on Evan Hughes had a I don't know. I don't remember if they had it in the, the one on downtown, but in the one in Evan Hughes. Whenever they would call, a uh, light bulb would come on. Nice, yeah, yeah, little red light thing. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, so, so do you feel that most of the topics that you guys uh, talk about on on the show are they kind of focused to our community, like to our population? Yeah, well, so you know, the first it's like we've got prime directives, right? Everybody does, I guess. So our first prime directive is the show has to be about mental health. And that can include substance use disorders or it can include regular, so it's a behavioral health radio show. Um, and we've learned that over the years where we would get kind of tangential. We get shows that were about similar topics, but they, but when they would come in, they'd really dive into their topic without touching on mental health. And, and so after a few of those, we kind of were like, you know, if we can't make it a mental health show, we're not going to do it because it's, it, you know, basically the county is paying for the time. It's under mental health, so it's going to be mental health. Once that goes, then you look at the community and 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 community mental health needs. Um, you know, we can look at our demographics and 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 begin to see where we may have some advanced needs, some more significant needs. Um, we were talking off air right before we came on about the initial lack of technology when the pandemic started. And, and that was something, you know, 
in, in some upper class Orange County neighborhood, they weren't having that problem. Right. And so, mm-hmm. so now our kids are failing at school because we, we are you know behind the eight ball of technology for a moment there. And I, I know we're doing a lot of catch up on that. Well, there's a lot of significant kind of mental health stuff there too. I mean, if you look at poverty, poverty is a mental health exacerbator. Mm-hmm. It makes mental health worse. You know, it's, you could be a rich person with a mental health problem there. You know, it's one in four people have a mental health, uh, treatable mental health disorder at any given time. Uh, it's one in five to one in four, but, but let's say one in four, because those other people are probably denying it. Um, it could be rich, could be poor. It's across the board, it could be old, could be young. It's everybody. But then you throw poverty into that, right? Then you throw um, multi-generational abuse into that. Then you throw our lost stories of immigration that we can't tell anybody. Right. And, you know, our, our, I was, I was going to, um, I still someday I had a, th- a friend who's a therapist and we were going to do, and, and another friend who, who works at KXL, we were going to do kind of a, a, an electronic chant band, but we were going to call it papeles arreglados. <laughs> and, and, um, because, because spiritually, if you get your papers in line, you know, you should be able to, you know, step up to the next, you should immigrate to cross the border into the next spiritual reign or whatever. And, um, but, but that, but so many of us are marked by that, you know, and so many of us are, are, are hit by poverty and hit by other things. And, and those things all exacerbate mental health. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I was, um, and, and, and in turn, you know, the same way I was trying to research, you know, I was looking up, you know, mental uh, uh, mental health and all these um, videos on YouTube. And, and yeah, like I, I was, you know, reading how, um, and, you know, there's a lot of rural towns that um, a lot of the times don't have any mental health uh, care providers that, you know, a lot of the times uh, people who are dealing with mental health would rather get arrested so that they can go to jail and maybe get, somebody in the jail to help them out with their mental issues, mental health issues. Sure. It, it is, it is difficult. Well, and, and there's, there's all sorts of different, different frames you could put on this that get, that get kind of tricky The you know, the first frame is, is the mental health system, the system of diagnosis, the system of treatment. That is a very Anglo system. <laughs> you know, it, it came from, from uh, white Europeans period. The end. You know, it was not developed indigenously. They've got a whole different way of dealing with with their mental health. It was not developed in African American communities, uh, and and through the years, it has been weaponized in some respects against those communities. You know, when we don't like what we see, we can just slap a mental health diagnosis on it, and then that person becomes marginalized and unable to kind of uh, be who they are in the community. So, so there is that. I mean, we are fortunate enough here to be. Uh, like have a super majority of Hispanic and, and that at least uh, helps us in that regard, because, you know, one of the coolest things my department does is uh, virtually all of our therapists were born and raised here and are bilingual and are Hispanic. And I am not going to tell you how important that is. It is critical because they have shared common experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, they know what it's like to be here in the summer. They know what it's like to be here with a teacher who says you can only speak English in this classroom. They know what it's like to, to, to grow up in hard places. And that makes them better therapists for this community by far. So, so you've, but you've got those challenges here. 
and, and they're deeper than just mental health. You know, one of the things about mental health, that's kind of, it's like one of those, uh, you know, two-sided things is that on the one hand, treatment and support from treatment is really useful and really helpful for some people. On the other hand, what you do for yourself is so, so, so important. So self-management and self-awareness and self-preservation and, and self-resilience, it becomes, those become the really critical factors in terms of anyone's uh, either recovery or, or maintenance in this, you know, COVID-driven madhouse that we've created for ourselves. You know, it, it really is, it really is important. So, so on the one hand, you know, uh, you want to say, hey, this is important. If you need help, get help. And many people need help. So, so that can't be discounted. But you also want to say everybody's got to really, in, the more you invest in your mental health, the better off you're going to be, regardless of whether you're having an easy life or a hard life, regardless of whether you've got some genetic link to bipolar disorder, or your parents were really abusive, or you've got, you know, you're substance using to kind of cope with past trauma or whatever. If you self-manage, if you take responsibility for that and say, look, I'm going to do everything I can. And if that's not enough, then I'm going to get help. Uh, those are the people who end up suffering less on the, in the bottom line. So that's kind, that's kind of how the show pushes towards. It pushes towards not only the support angles, but also a lot of, of what you can do for you. Do you, you know, you've been here in the, in the Valley most of the, you know, a long over time, 30, over 30 years, over 30 years. And, you know, you know, our, like you said, our demographic is, you know, mainly, you know, Hispanic, Mexican-Americans. And do you feel that um, our culture um, is not, doesn't really see mental health for what it is? Like, we don't really take it serious as Hispanics. I mean, I feel like newer generations do, but, you know, like my parents, I don't know if they've, ever had a conversation with me about depression or uh, substance abuse or, you know, all these things that, you know, we face in our community? I think, you know, it's an, that's a great question. And I think from my experience, I don't have data to back this up. So this is purely qualitative subjective, but, but I grew up really multicultural. As I was telling you earlier, I grew up in, in my mom was working. So I grew up in an African-American household. Okay. I grew up black. Um, and, um, and I grew up around LGBT and I grew up, you know, and I've been here in this community and a part of this community, my, my wife is Mexican, um, and, and, um, so of Mexican heritage anyway. And so, and we speak Spanish at home, you know, it's Spanglish, but we do it. Uh, and so, but she's also, she was, she was, she was actually born in a migrant labor camp. So, so we are old school. <laughs> And, and, um, and my 95 year old mother-in-law is telling you off, off mic, but my 95 year old mother-in-law lives with me. She's illiterate and only speaks Spanish, you know? So, so I kind of had my feet in all these different worlds. And I could say this, I could say that the, the avoidance and denial of mental health is cross-cultural. Um, Nobody wants to, and think about it from the standpoint of a parent. I mean, you got kid. So if my kid is struggling, on the one hand, I can say, hey, let's go get some help and run on over to mental health, or I can stop it with my young teenagers or whatever and have conversations about mental health. That'd be really cool. 
that doesn't happen very often because as a parent, I carry this weird shame responsibility thing, right? So if my kids are somehow have a mental health disorder, what does that say about me as a parent? What did I do raising them? How did I expose them in whatever I exposed them to? So, so I think it's a really amazingly universal that we all try and we all try and put it in the closet, right? We all try to say, you know, I'd rather blame God's will. I'd rather say, you know, God is punishing me for this, and I I need to accept that because that's what God does, um, than say, hey, I've got depression. And there are some things I can do to manage this. And there are some things that some supports I can get, but I actually have to come out and say, I've got depression. Yeah. It's a tough, it's a tough pill to swallow. And what you see is people really trying to say, well, it's this or it's that it's interesting in the mental health business because people will come in and, you know, for an intake assessment where they talk about what's going on in their lives and what they're presenting with and stuff like that. And they'll really sell depression, right? And you'll be talking to them. And, and I you know, was doing a bunch of intakes when I was getting ready to be a therapist at one point. And, and they'll really sell depression. Like, well, you know, I'm not feeling hopeless, you know, and sleep and crying, you know, all a little, little earmarks of depression. Right. And, and it's like a red herring in writing. It's like a false flag operation because yeah, they're depressed, but why are they depressed? They're depressed because of this trauma that they've been trying to bury that they don't want to talk about. And they don't want to acknowledge that it's screwing up their life today. Yeah. You know, because, because it's bigger and it, it feels indefeatable. And, and, and so they, they, so they really want you to say, yeah, you're depressed. Go ahead and take these antidepressants or, you know, do this little cognitive behavioral counseling gig and you'll be all better. And, and what happens is a lot of times with that group of people is they may find a little bit of relief in the moment, but ultimately until they go back and, and really work on, on the stuff that was cause it, causing the depression was the, you know, the roots of it. And it can be family dysfunction. It can be all sorts of different things, you know, until they get back and do that, then, then that's what, you know, will bring them relief. So you feel that uh, one of the biggest or main reasons why, you know, uh, mental health issues or depression all these things are kind of like a t- taboo kind of topic is because um uh, the people that are looking out for like for example my son um if my son had mental pro- problems you know i would kind of like not want to find out because it kind of reflects on on me on how i or whatever i did to make this happen to him I, I think there's that element because as a parent, I'm, I'm responsible for my kid, right? Capital R responsible for my kid. Right. And, and I have to shield them from all harm. I mean, that's, you know, I have to. And, and so as a parent, part of my maturation, part of my development as a human being is to say, you know, is to get to the point where I could say my children have their pathways and some of the pathways may include mental health. And some of the things I've done may have made that pathway easier, you know, may have, may have, not helped. <laughs> and, but, but that doesn't mean I wasn't trying my best, mm-hmm. right? That doesn't mean in the moment I wasn't doing what I had to do. I mean, a lot of us are, are living our own childhood adventures in our adult lives, right? We're trying to resolve the things that happened to us when, when we were kids yeah. that were caused by our parents trying to resolve the things that were happening when they were kids. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's this big circle thing. And so if some of those things impacted our children, um, or, or, you know, and we don't know if they did, maybe they did, maybe they didn't, you know, that kind of thing. Um, or, or, you know, many parents had 
were pushed into mental health because they were trying to resolve the stuff that, you know, had come from their family of origin and they didn't have a good experience there. You know, mental health isn't as effective as unwinding those familial chains of disruption as, you know, treating it straight attention deficit disorder. It's really good at a straight attention deficit disorder. It's one of the ways you could tell if it's attention deficit. If it's attention deficit and you take the medication, you, you, you have a remarkable recovery. You're, it just, it solves the problem. If it's, uh, I'm distracted and impulsive and other things because I'm living in a very chaotic environment, that doesn't resolve as easily, mm. you know? And so, so, so yeah, I, I think that the, I think the parent acknowledgement uh, is, is a tough, is a tough pill to swallow. I, I, I will say as a parent, that is, it you know, always is a tough pill to swallow for me. Anytime my kids have some, and they're all grown ups, they're all like as old as you. But anytime they, they hook up with some distressing information and they call me, I have to stop and say, it's not my fault. And I have to, I have to literally, because, because it, it blocks me from dealing with it. Mm-hmm. If I start, cause I'll get defensive about it. Right. I'll be like, well, it's not because of your upbringing. You know, I see, well, maybe it is, you know, I just, so I have to kind of just relax and, and, you know, say maybe it is, but I did, I, I didn't know any better, you know, yeah. doing the best, the best I could. Do you feel that, um, you know, Kids nowadays or uh, people grow, growing up with uh, the internet and social media, you know, have had a harder time, you know, dealing or or has it exaggerated exaggerated their, you know, mental health issues and people in the past that really didn't have, you know, this powerful tool in their hands? You know, I don't know. It's it's an experiment, right? Um, I was, I'm, I'm the oldest um, generation X person. So I'm right on the cusp of baby boomers. And I know baby boomers, you know, I've worked around them and lived around them my whole life. And they're like my older brothers and sisters, but I am not one of them. So even if I, you know, regardless of how you figure birthdays, I definitely identify with Generation X. And because we were part of an experiment, we had working class parents, everybody left us. They gave us a, a TV set, you know, back in, in my day, I, we only had three channels, you know, and, and, you know, when we were about 10 years old, we got our first microwaves and. And, and so we were an experiment just like they were an experiment. And so did we, and, and we grew up in weird drug cultures and other things. So did we end up being all depraved? No, I don't, I really don't think so. I think, well, I I think generation X is better balanced than almost any generation because we realized that we weren't going to get stuff. You know, we'd already had we, our whole lives. We've had little stuff taken away from us. And so when they say, well, no retirement for you, we're like, yeah, we already knew that. So, what? you know, it's, it's hard to get us kind of reacting to stuff like that because it's happened so frequently to our generation. It's, we were the generation of, of not getting as much as the generation before us. Mm-hmm. And so we're less entitled. I, I don't know what happened to millennials. Millennials kind of slip slided on that one. <laughs> but um. But so I think Gen X actually relates really well to Gen Z and Gen Z. If you want the iGen, those are the people who are really digital. And it's interesting that um, uh, our brain, our brains, I can't, can't, let me see if I get this right. The biggest part of our brain for my generation is for when you look at uh, the ruling of the hand is the index finger. And for them, it's the thumb. So what's happened is there's actually been a developmental change in human brains based on digital technology. So their brains are developing different than mine. 
Now, I'm not ready to say, you know, as, a, as somebody who's almost 60, it would be really easy for me to throw electronics under the bus, right? It's just kind of a natural kind of stay off my yard kind of grouchy old man response. And, and I'm not ready to do that. You know, I, I see some of the magic that they do, the magic that they, the, the mixes they create in their music, the, the stuff that they do online, the Photoshopping, you know, it's just, I've always liked visual arts and uh, the stuff that they do with Photoshop is just amazing. And so I'm not ready to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Um, has this year been, you know, this year has been an interesting test because many teenagers who were all, all about the electronics are kind of sick of them now. <laughs> You know, and you hear lots of, you know, some of them are, are completely okay still, but many of them that were very comfortable, you know, texting people all day are like, oh God, I just want to see another human face. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, And, and going back to the, you know, social media and, and the internet, do you feel that, you know, cause we see a lot of, um, I guess, influencers or artists that are coming out and, and, you know, saying, you know, I have. Oh, you mean like, let's talk about it. The radio show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Totally. <laughs> But do you feel that, you know, having all these influencers or big names coming out and saying, you know, oh, I'm dealing with depression, I'm dealing with bipolar, um, substance abuse, does it help, um, you know, uh, lower, lower the stigma? Yeah. I, and that's a, that's a, I, I see a change in this. I mean, I'm working directly with Southwest High School and they've got, uh, uh, health professional hostess called health professional club of kids that grow up to be health professionals and their primary outreach the past couple of years has been mental health. Um, they call it the soaring above stigma program. And they've taken that into a, what basically is a school wide wellness program that centers around behavioral health, because, you know, the trick with holistic health is if you haven't got your behavioral health, you haven't got health. You know, behavioral health will take everything else down with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so your mental health has to be good or it, or it, it ain't all, it, none of it's going to be good. So so I've been working with that group of people and, and the Active Minds Club at IBC. I work directly with them as well. Uh, another student-led mental health coalition on campus. Um, I see, I see wonderful things with this generation because of their willingness. And I think they've been, you know, they see how they're getting squeezed. You know, they see how uh, civilization and life and the expectations and everything else have, have so accelerated, have so pushed them that they're getting squeezed and they're much more willing to talk about how it hurts, how it doesn't feel very good and how that doesn't feeling very good can translate into stuff like depression or stuff like bipolar disorder, stuff like, like attention deficit or, or other types of panic attacks, anxiety. Uh, they, they seem to be much more open about it. And I think part of your, part of that is influencers coming out and saying, yeah, it's me too. Yeah. Yeah. I feel mm-hmm. that. Um, Cause I talked to um, Avanice, she's uh, going to be 15, I believe. And I see how she um, follows a lot of influencers that, um, you know, are are open to talk about, you know, issues like that, like mental health issues. And at the same time, like show share with my son who's only twelve, like or she'll have conversations with, you know, while we're eating dinner or whatever, and she'll bring up some of the things that, you know, her and her classmates talk about and deal with and wait, 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 time out. You guys eat dinner at the same table? Uh yeah. How many video monitors do you have surrounding that area that everybody can watch their own show? 
um, they have them on, on their hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that that's uh, but that's us too, right? Mm. I mean, we are as bad as they are. Let's face it. Oh yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. But you guys have actual conversations. I want to go back to that because that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, I feel that, um, and that's something that that I kind of wanted to ask, like um, how. Because something uh, when I was watching yesterday, I was watching a show about you know how, uh, um, you know poverty has has you know made um you know mental health health uh, worse for 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 kids especially, because I feel that a lot of a lot of the times we as parents might talk about, you know our problems whether it's bills or you know losing your job, do you feel that it's important for the parents to share th these kinds kinds of conversations or? <laughs> Yeah, that's a great that's a great question too, isn't it? You know, it's it's interesting because you know there, there's like a couple of schools on this. One of the schools is that um, I don't tell my kids anything, and they've got no idea what's going on. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Your kids have nothing better to do than download you, especially now that they're all trapped in the same house. You know, so 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 if you think somehow that you can hide how you think or feel about the world, or if you can kind of give them the, the nice version of it and keep all the darkness inside of you. I, th I think you're really sadly, mis I mean, think about it back when you were a kid, could you read your parents pretty well? You know, of course you could, we all can, you know? So the idea that, you know, we're somehow better parents than that, we can kind of hide that is I think false thinking it's, it's kind of just going to run yourself into problems. But the other part is, is kind of goes back to the, you know, the, the Jack Nicholson line in, in um, the uh, with Tom Cruise. It's like, you can't handle the truth. It's like, so there's a developmentally appropriate, if you will, um, line of, of transparency in, in family relationships. And so I think, you know, pulling my kids into parts of it that are beyond their control could be a little bit disorienting, especially if I feel like I'm out of control, like with the bills. You know, what are they going to do? Go out and get jobs? Mm -hmm. Actually, I did. I got a job when I was like 11 <laughs> and I didn't stop working. I, I just added more jobs. At one point, I was like six jobs, like 19, I had like six jobs at the same time. I was, I was a gig worker before it was cool. <laughs> but, but, but because we were poor, because I grew up poor. Mm -hmm. um, but, but ultimately, I think you have to kind of, you have to, I think more importantly, you have to kind of value uh, self-care and you have to do that at the family level. So even if we're really struggling about money, it's about being kind to each other. Mm. It's about taking care of ourselves. It's about enjoying each moment as it was really precious because we don't know how many moments we're going to get, right? It's like the whole thing could be yanked, you know, right now, eight point whatever earthquake and you and I are going to watch the ceilings fall down on Zoom, <laughs> to bury us, you know, and this show will never hit the air. You know, it, it, you know, that's kind of fatalistic thing. You know, right. No, you don't want to think it, you're not, that's ridiculous. But, 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 um, but you want to live life as if that was going to happen because you, you, it may a, because it may b because it makes life so much more special. And, and ultimately I think the, the wisdom of 60 years of age is this, is that even if you live like, veritably forever like my 95 year old swagger that is it is over before you know it it goes fast and so you really want to grab as many of those moments and make those moments 
treasurable and not by like making it splendor. You know, you don't need a golden toilet. You know, you, you want to make human connections. You want to, you know, pet the dogs and cats. You want to, you know, notice the trees growing. You want to breathe fresh air. You, you, you want to take all of these kind of embrace the moment kind of moments and make that your model as a parent. And, and make it not just for the kids, but for yourself. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think the bottom line for all of us is, is self-care. Everything you're doing has to be looked through uh, in a lens of self-care. Is what I'm doing right now helping to sustain my development and my experience of being human? Some things don't do that. And standing in line at the DMV, for example. I don't know. There's, there's lots of, right? There's lots of examples of things that just plain old, I don't know, pardon my French, suck. And, and so you have to look at that. And if I've got a lot of those going on in my life, things that are just like, like going to the dentist kind of necessary icky experiences, then I have to balance that. Then I really have to do extra steps to be kind to myself. So, so for example, you know, people who were really extroverts, and I, yeah, I know them, but I, I'm not one of them, yeah, you know, and, and, but, but some of them, I, I see them just, just really getting dragged through this pandemic, just in awful ways. Mm-hmm. They're either having to totally compromise whatever rules are going on so that they can get their social interaction or they're denying themselves their social interaction. And, and they, they constantly tell themselves that they're suffering because they don't have people to talk to, you know, in real life kind of things without masks. and. Those people, because they're suffering so much right now, they really need to do the self-care things that will take them away from that, you know, that will help them. And for some, it's they've taken up cooking. For others, they've, you know, reconnected to exercise. You know, all of our dogs are getting walks now, which is really cool because, you know, they weren't before. They were just leaving in the backyard, right? Yeah. And hope they survive the summer. You know, somebody check the water on them, you know, that kind of thing. But but nowadays, we're, we're reconnecting to that. The other thing they could do is they, they could start kind of questioning, why do I need this constant, uh, I'm, I'm an introvert, so I'm going to call it noise. Why do I need this constant noise of human interaction? I mean, it's beautiful. It's marvelous. It's very cool. I get it. But but why is it so necessary? Can't I be quiet? Can't I be still? Can't I be alone? What's threatening about that? Isn't it peaceful? Isn't it soothing? Isn't it like nice? <laughs> You know, so so I, I, that's another way of self-care that they can take, you know, this, this situation has taught them something about themselves, right? It's pointed out that they're really dependent upon all these relationships. And they can say, you know, do I want to continue this level of dependence? Is it healthy? You know, is, is it something that, that, you know, maybe if I could have the skills and the talents without quite as much desire, uh, I could have a nice little balance of human relationships and value my quiet time, value my alone time, you know, get up in the morning on a weekend and say, I don't have to go do something on a bucket list. <laughs> I could sit on my porch yeah, and not burn carbon. Come on, guys, <laughs> the planet, the planet's going to heck. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't want to just go out and burn things and drive places just to see something, just to do something. Mm. You know, it's like, uh, the, and, and a lot of that's consumer culture. I know going off on a little shift here, but uh, consumer culture is really embedded in who we are as a, as a civilization, embedded in who we are. You know, it's it, we've always been buying stuff. It's all about Christmas. It's all about going places and spending money. And and 
that creates a certain kind of person and it creates a certain kind of pressure. And at some point, it's nice to kind of look at that wheel and say, you know, am I okay being on that wheel? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a school lunch line with a $50,000 car because I can't afford food. Is that a problem? <laughs> you know, and it, and, it, and it may not be. And if it's not, that's fine. I mean, it's, it's, everybody's got their own tickets to ride here. But, but it may be, it may be time to kind of, of downsize the priorities in terms of, of, of spending and upside the, the things that I can do without spending. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got a hummingbird feeder. It keeps me entertained. I could spend like a week watching my hummingbird feeder. Yeah, I think that's something that I've uh, kind of um, picked up during the pandemic. You know, um, little things that I wouldn't notice before, like just watching my dog, sometimes like, and I think in the beginning of the pandemic, she was like, what the heck are you guys doing here all day? <laughs> you guys need to go to work. Well, no, the running joke is the dogs love it and the cats hate it. Oh, yeah. Cats like, what are you doing in my house? But you know what? My my dog, a lot of the times, um, has this cat kind of vibe where nice. she'll kind of like be on her own and then she'll come in and kind of like rub on on your leg kind of like for pets and then she'll go do her, do her own thing. And that's why, like, in the beginning, I was like, she she kind of, like, she doesn't want us here all day. Like, she'd rather be over on her own and peace of quiet because, you know, we're watching TV or cooking or whatever. And she's like, guys need me. Need me need I could me. be I could be sleeping. Yeah, I need some peace and quiet. <laughs> go, go to work. But, yeah, like, yeah, I mean, little things um, like that. Cooking cooking as something that, that I've picked up that um, I've enjoyed um, doing and trying out and and you know, hoping that my kid eats his vegetables hitting underneath of the food I'm, I'm making and stuff like that. Ah, one of those kind of parents are you. <laughs> yeah. But um, going back to the show, um, who, who comes up with, with you know, your, your topics and do you guys um, um, look for guests and, and all these things? How, how does that, that come about? Well, okay. So we, we have kind of a, a round table, if you will. So we have we have monthly production meeting, but Production doesn't stop at the meeting. The meeting is where you bring the ideas. So all month long, you're kind of digging for ideas. So if something happens in the news, for example, about back back when we were having, you know, back when the first big ripples of, of gun control went through and we were having lots of mass shootings and it was, it was something that had just gripped the consciousness of the nation. You know, that was important for mental health because one of the, the, one of the buses that they were trying to throw under, you know, people under to blame for this, this mass shooting thing was mental health. And no, you know, it's kind of like sharks in the ocean. Sharks aren't dangerous to humans. Humans are dangerous to sharks. We kill gazillion times more sharks than they kill of us. Yeah. It's the same thing with mental health. Mental health people aren't dangerous to the community. The community is dangerous to them. Police kill many, 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 many more mental health people, as does isolation, as does marginalization, as does uh, the community kind of not accepting them, then, then mental health people would ever harm any other people. Now, mental health people are in distress, and sometimes distressed people do very dangerous things, but by and large, uh, very much no. So we did a bunch of radio shows. Um, talking to people who were reviewing research. That's one of the things we try to do on the show is we try to find stuff that is, has, is scientifically sound. 
isn't just kind of somebody's hype or somebody's feel about something. Mm-hmm. Although that stuff's important as well, because, you know, your feel is very valid, mm-hmm. right? But, but we look for evidence. And, and so we did a bunch of evidence-based shows on, on guns and on people with guns and who was likely to be dangerous with guns. And, um, and we did that right in the moment. You know, one of the, the tricks that we always have had is we really want to honor the Spanish show and the English show. So if, for example, we've had a bunch of, of leading authors, for example, um, but the trick is if we, if somebody writes like a really good book and they're willing to come on the English show, you got to find a Spanish match. You got to be able to go out and hustle up some, some, and we were really lucky for a few years. Uh, I had some, some Spanish speaking therapists and I would, I would either buy a copy or get comped a copy of the book of the author uh, in English. Right. And I would give them the book and say, Hey, read the book and do a Spanish show for me. <laughs> and they would do, and they would do it. And it was so cool because then you could, you could really go out there and aggressively hunt down. We had, we had, uh, we had Bessel van der Kolk. He, he wrote a book on um, the body keeps score. It was the, it's probably still one of the top 10 uh, Amazon psychology books. And it was the number one trauma book um, forever. It probably still is. It was an amazing book. It was a very smart book about how the body, you know, marks your trauma. And, and, and later on when you're having physical problems, it's really related to traumas you experience. Anyhow, we got him on the show and did an hour with him before NPR got five minutes of his time oh. because we were looking for it and we saw it come up and, and it came up and we, we talked to his publicist and he was, you know, we got um, Dan Siegel, who's the, the, the psychi- he's a psychiatrist. So he's, he's a medical doctor. He's also a psychologist and um, he's the head of the UCLA meditation center. So he's done some incredible neuro work in his life. Just amazing. He's a researcher. He's a teacher. Uh, he's, but he's, and he's a book writer. He's overall cool. We got him on to do uh, two shows with us. And then he came back and did a Spanish show because we were saying, guy, I wish we had a Spanish show. He says, well, I'm learning Spanish. I'll come back on and do the show. Um, so, so that we, we haven't done, especially, you know, I, I think during the pandemic, there's been some limitations, but we haven't done as many of that we for a while we were reaching really high for those shows and grabbing some top shelf stuff. Oh really? So like so you've had the opportunity to talk to people who are, you know, big names and at the in peak the of their fields. Yes. At the peak of their field. Yes. Wow. That's, that's great. And you know, that is there somebody that you've had the chance to talk that you kind of nerded out on? Um, yes. God, I'm trying to remember her full name. Um she did who should like Google this or she should take, take a break and go. Her name is Martha and she wrote two books, one about bipolar and one about uh, her eating disorder. And, and she's just an amazing author and we got her to do a show. And I was so, so like, again, nerded, nerded out is the exact right thing. I was like standing, I was total Stan. And, um, and, and so proud and very proud to do the show because this is this person who had lived experience of, of being both bipolar and, and having a really serious eating disorder. Eating disorders are, are, are monsters. They are really tough. And she'd gotten through these things and it was happening right, you know, right as her celebrity hit as an author. So she was writing other types of books. And, um, and so we, we got her on the show and did a show that was probably my number one stand show. 
where I was just like, you know what? The other, I had an interesting one. Um, the guy who did, um, who painted the mountain out in um, the slabs, Ray. I, we had Ray on the show. He, he's in the dark archives. So I don't even, I don't even have a CD of the show. But um, we drove out to Nyland one day at like four in the morning because we used to broadcast live. Okay. And so we would go on the air at 7.30 in the morning. So, and it would be over at 8.30. You know, those were the days, man, you missed it because you could say whatever you wanted to. That was like, and, well, and because it was gone once, once you said it, unless somebody was, you know, with a tape recorder in their house, it was gone. Nowadays with podcasts, mm-hmm. different place, man. Yeah. <laughs> got to watch what you say. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, um, for sure. So we, we got, so we, we went out there and we got, uh, the guy who painted that mountain, uh, Mount Salvation Mountain, mm-hmm. and brought him in at like four in the morning to get him there at seven thirty to do show. It was an amazing show. He, I, you know, I he was in, he was transcendent. I don't know if you ever went up there and talked to that guy, but he's he was, you know, God put him there and God told him to to paint the mountain and 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 he he truly was an inspired human being and and that was that was a show. That was a show. We were all, we were all, we were all the, the, Maria and I and the, and the producer, we just had this look and we were going, oh man, we are in the presence of God. And it is coming through this guy all over the show. And it was cool. It was very cool. Um, I was going to, I was going to ask you, I had it right now and it slipped away. Um, do you, do you know your um, like demographic of, of the people who are tuning in? You know, it's a, that's a good question as well. And it is a complicated question. So I'm betting teenagers don't listen to us. Mm-hmm. I, we're just not cool enough. Uh, sometimes we'll gear shows to them. And I'm just like, you know, I, I realize that unless you, somebody forces you to listen, it's just not going to happen. Um, so I'm betting that's not the demographic. But no, I, it is. So when when they do radio surveys, they're very expensive. Mm-hmm. And they're also very general. So you rarely in the Valley, you rarely get information of, you know, your top listeners are uh, female, Hispanic ages, 21 through 35. You, you, you don't get that kind of a breakdown on stuff. Yeah. So what you end up is what you end up with is, is the weird little who, who, you know, I, back when um, Lucky's was open and you know, I'd go to Lucky's on, on, uh, Sunday morning, get my groceries and I go in there and the, the checkout lady, she'd say, Hey, I was just listening to you on the drive to work this morning, you know? And so I knew she was a listener, you know, I, I have, I had, you know, one of the things the, the guys who cut, Hey, uh, have radios in their caps. Mm-hmm. And so I, and they cut early in the morning. And so I, I would get like, like all these hay operators that would be like, yeah, yeah. I listen to your show every week. And I'm like, yeah, that's so cool. Um, it, it, so it's a really, I, I think it's probably a diverse and eclectic people because, you know, how many of us go to sleep Saturday night with oldies on the radio and happen to wake up Sunday morning and we're still listening to KXL, mm. you know, and, oh, there's, there's Scott and Maria. No, and, I, and I, I feel there's a, like a specific group of us that like listening to talk radio, not like I, I hardly ever listen to any music. I'm always listening to talk radio even whether it's a podcast or actual radio radio and um and it's funny because when i was growing up my dad used to listen to talk radio a lot and i was like man i because we would drive to mexicali almost every day and like he would listen to it like every day i'm like man what how who does this who listens to talk radio every day and i bet my kids are the same way now because i hardly ever put any music on 
and yeah because uh, uh, to me um with my podcast um the people who listen to my podcast on spotify um spotify gives me a, like a little rundown of you know who who listens to my podcast you know it's female male the ages uh the countries where they listen from so that's why i was kind of wondering if you guys had some kind of um way to find out a little bit more information as you know who the demographic is to uh, of your listeners yeah no it's and it's always kind of been frustrating for us to be honest about that so here i got the author i get the books I, because i am such a stan i, I went and looked it up while, while we were talking <laughs> it's it's myra hornbacher her name's myra it's it's like mary with an a on the end of it uh hornbacher and and she wrote a book called wasted and that was about her eating disorder and then she wrote a book called madness a bipolar life uh, amazing author and just so real you know you could you could feel it it's just like good writer good story perfect and i'm a big reader and i think you know it's interesting that's probably where most of my talk radio comes from is reading um i i was uh, one of those kids that just happened to you know reading was really easy for me and that's the difference between somebody who reads and somebody who doesn't yeah you know, I, I read by paragraphs where other people try to, for, you know, get words to make sense. You know, I, I'm the words just get swallowed up. I turn into the character. I forget about who I am. You know, it's so for me, it's a really good escape. It's, it's easier than video because when I'm watching video, the characters look like movie stars. When I'm reading the story, the character looks like me. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I don't look like a movie star. So, you know, there's there's that. But um, but I think that's where where talk radio really stood out to me because talk radio is about, you know, intelligent dialogue. Mm. And, and to me, that's always come from books. And so if you can recreate that in the moment, like you and I talking right now, uh, that's always been so kind of like, is that that's the, that's the, the peak that you're trying to get to mm. is can, can you get a flow going between two people, between two brains, between two ideas that writes itself, that's lyrical, that's poetic. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's, and it's, it's sometimes it seems easy, but you know, there's times where like, like to me, like I do a lot of preparation for, for my interviews. I know the ones where I, I really don't have to do much because like, for example, uh, today with you, like I, I, mental health is such a, you know, has this big umbrella, like all these topics you can talk about. Sure. And, and I knew that I could bring just a few topics to you and you would, you would be able to talk to me for for days so like i wasn't really like but i i did want it to um be a little bit informed because like i said like we can talk about so many things about mental health and and but at the same time i could talk to you about you know being on the radio um you know all these things you know preparing for interviews um ideas topics and all these things that i could you know relate to you because of what we do but you know the mental health part you know i knew that you could handle and like i said bring i could bring a couple topics to you and you know you could talk for days so 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 yeah like um and to me like i really enjoy having these conversations because um i feel that you know um i don't know everything but um i feel that the people that are listening are like me and they they're gonna learn something and they're gonna hopefully you know share with somebody else and and spread, you know, spread the the knowledge, and 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 I feel like that's something that you do with with your radio show as well. That's been one of my biggest pushes in the last couple of years, and last year in particular, is look, 
This goes on a podcast. You know somebody, you're the listener. You mm. know somebody who needs to hear this. You know, if you're listening right now, you're like, oh, dude, dude cousin Charlie needs to hear this. He's like <laughs> totally. And so your job is to get that podcast to them. Now that it's digital, now that we can move stuff about, it's our listeners that have the most important job. And that is connecting to the people who need to hear it in the community. Let's talk about it. it gets 1,500 downloads a month. And they're almost local. They're almost all local IPs. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we used to joke when we first got those numbers, we were like, yeah, well, we're teaching English to China because we enunciate very clearly <laughs> on our radio show and it becomes good teaching material. But, um, but no, it's almost all local IPs. So it's really staying in the community and it's shared amongst the community. And that's really, that's kind of the, so, so what we do is, you know, you put good stuff on tape, you put good stuff into that digital format. And then you hopefully get the people to share it because I can't walk it over to everybody, you know, so you, you need the community to share it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's the goal. You know? Yeah. So Scott, we're, we're at uh, almost uh, an hour and 10. Um, and just, <laughs> just to keep, you know, See, I, well, you, you were saying talk forever. I knew what that meant. I was like, oh, okay, I, I hear what he's saying here. And, and, and I mean, it down. no, no. And to me, like I could go on, but, um, you know, I feel that sometimes like going over an hour, like people kind of like, no, 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 absolutely. I, I totally, we, we do an hour on my show too. So mm-hmm. let's, let's you and I promise to stop this now. <laughs> if you get overwhelming listener response and we, we and you want to hit it again sometime. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Than, you know, I'm happy to do that for you. I will be more than glad to have you on again and, 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 you know, talk some more about some of the mental health issues going on in the community and, 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 and just, you know, promote uh, mental health and, and make it, you know, not big of a stigma as I guess it still is. And even though it shouldn't, um, you know, that that's my goal, like kind of like make sure that the community knows that, you know, mental health is, is you know, it's 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 not something that we should. Look we all have at. it. OK, yeah. we, all, we all have mental health. And yeah. because of that, we all have to protect our mental health. Mm-hmm. We all have to take care of our mental health. We have to take care of it in our people that we love and even in the people that we don't like. You know, why <laughs> would we mess up their mental health? Because the, the thing is, it's catching. You put one depressed person in a room and everybody gets a little bit bummed out. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that we support each other. We hold each other up and we realize that it's part of life. You know, it's, it's, you're going to have, you're going to have challenges. Promise. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Scott, you know, thank you once again. Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we made this connection and, and we finally talked because it kind of like we've been going back and forth on email yeah. and, and, and I'm kind of glad that and I, I feel that sometimes when I email new people, they kind of don't know me and they're like, what is this guy all about? So they kind of like, once they talk to me, they feel more, more comfortable and you know, they're, they're more. You're saying I can take the restraining order off. Is that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can block me off your. You can send me back to your inbox instead of the junk mail. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, when nice. I really, I really appreciate, you know, the time and, and the conversation. Um, I really hope that we can do this again. Hey, when Netflix wants to make this a miniseries, Scott and Jose, I'm in it. Just let, <laughs> just let me, let your people call my people and, and we will do that. We could, we can make this an entertaining hour, you know, once every couple of weeks or so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, So tell us, um, before we leave, tell us where people can listen to Let's Talk About It and when and, and, and all the good stuff. I, I got this, I've got this memorized amazingly enough. All right, let's talk about it. You broadcast Thursday mornings on KUBO 88.7 at eight o'clock in the morning. If you're into Expressate, it's eight o'clock in the morning on Wednesday mornings on KUBO 88.7. If you're a weekend person, all you got is English. Weekend person, it's seven o'clock in the morning on Sunday, 
KXO 1230, and then 7 p.m. on 107.5 KXO FM. The podcasts, both of them, English and Spanish, are available at the Let's Talk About It link at kxoradio.com. Click on the link, click on Let's Talk About It. You can search archives. We've got archives down, I think, back to about 2014 on there. So. Oh. Not the deep archives, but but there are a lot of really, really, really good shows in there. So, and that's actually, you know, if you want kind of a less threatening place to explore mental health, like you're worried about something, you could just go in there and and dive into the archives and do kind of a scroll search and 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 find the show that has to deal with it because we've done all the shows mm. and um and listen to that and kind of make up your mind to go where what you want to do next after hearing the show. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, good place to start. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening or watching. Um, thank you, Scott, once again. Um, all right, guys. Make sure you stay safe. Wear your face mask. Wash your hands. And we love our sponsors, so make sure and take care of our sponsors for us. Yeah, yeah. So uh, social distance, stay safe, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Yeah.